Welcome to the Money Rules Podcast, where we tackle your personal financial matters with leading financial advisors. Your host, Buitumelon Zorko. Choosing a spot to enjoy your retirement years is a big decision. Would it be better to stay in your current home or to move to a retirement village? And if you do decide to move, what are some of the key aspects to consider? Hi, I'm Peter Mello, and in this episode, I'm joined by Gareth Collier, who is a certified financial planner at Crew Invest. He will take us through the different contracts offered at these villages, the upfront and ongoing costs, as well as the red flags to look out for to avoid being scammed. Welcome, Gareth. Hi, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Gareth, when should one start thinking about the retirement accommodation? Look, I think this is a bit of a dynamic question because like most things, it's going to depend on your personal circumstances. But as a rule of thumb, you know, I think we should start thinking about it maybe in our in our 40s, sort of mid to late 40s, you know, in terms of what does retirement look like for you in terms of where you're going to stay, what your needs are going to be. You might have a better idea at that point about what the future holds for your own kids. You know, are you going to stay where you've possibly lived your whole life? Are you going to possibly possibly move closer to them for children, grandchildren, whatever that is. So those longer term decisions start to, you can start thinking about them. And then we would normally say sort of in your 50s, we would get a little bit more proactive about really kind of getting intentional about where it is that you're going to stay. Um, reason being a lot of the places that you that you find that you might be very keen on tend to have relatively long waiting lists, particularly if they're very popular. So the sooner you get in there, the better. And what are some of the most important aspects to consider when making this decision? Look, I think you need to look at your personal living circumstances. So does it suit your needs, your, you know, your, your household needs to, to maintain your family home? Um, again, maybe your kids have moved on. Uh, they're in their own space now. Maybe you had a larger family home. Does it still meet your needs? And, and, and it still might. You know, a lot of people enjoy the fact that maybe the family comes around for sort of social gatherings on the weekend and they've got the space and the facilities to do that. And for others, it might be a case of, well, you know what, we, we maybe want to downscale and have a simpler home life and maybe sort of be able to start adventuring out and traveling and maybe a, a lock up and go with sort of minimal maintenance and overheads and, you know, security concerns would, would better suit them. If I'm warming up to the idea of maybe going to a retirement village, what information should I be looking for when researching these? Well, I think you've got to think about it as a as a, lo- a very long term decision. You know, it's, it's sure you you think of an exciting lifestyle. Maybe the initial part of retirement possibly does hold some travel and some sort of you know this the sense of sort of relaxation from a busy life of work and raising families to maybe almost going back to like a more of a social setting. You know, if you're in this environment with other people that are in a similar life stage, it can be quite enjoyable um, and quite social. Uh, but beyond that, you know, unfortunately, we have to be realistic about the march of time and and what it can do to our health. So the facility that you're going into, does that hold the long-term prospect of things like, you know, assisted living or frail care? What are the medical facilities like, you know, or is it the kind of place that you could go into for life or are you going to to have a secondary option further down the road? And then if one does decide to go this route, what are the three options offered in retirement villages? And could you please explain the contracts of each? 
Yeah, sure. So, so some of them will hold uh, the likes of a, a title ownership. So that's where you will actually physically buy the the property within the within the village itself. You take ownership. So you know there's an actual transfer deed of ownership there, and when you pass away, you'd actually be able to bequeath that to your to your heirs. Um, that of course comes with its own considerations because there you would still be liable for all of the the maintenance and the upkeep and the insurance of that that property and that unit. The other option could be to go into a what's called a, a block share. So there, rather than actually taking physical transfer ownership of a, of a property title, um, you actually buy shares in a company that owns that property unit, and you have the right to stay there for as long as you sort of uh, hold those shares. In terms of maintenance and things, you would still be liable for the upkeep of your own unit almost on the on the inside if you want to think about it whereas the the share block would still um still have a levy that you would need to pay and that levy would then be used to pay for sort of things like the upkeep and the maintenance of the of the block itself as well as the security you know but but also you you sort of run the danger there where people need to set that budget on an annual basis of what those levies will be and then of course if there's other exceptional expenses that maybe weren't planned on Let's say they are elevators that need maintenance. You know, something like that is quite an expensive undertaking. So they might have to raise a special levy specifically for that, which can be challenging. You know, when you're in retirement, you sort of tend to be more on a fixed budget. You know what you can afford month to month, year to year. And having these unforeseen quite, quite large expenses can be quite detrimental to your budget. And then the last one, which is is probably the most popular and certainly gaining a lot of interest around the country, is the the concept of a life right. So here, what you do is you are effectively purchasing the right to stay in that particular unit or property or whatever it might be within a retirement village for the balance of of your life expectancy. If you're going in there as a couple, then the contract will tend to state that it's up until the last dying. So that's basically the, the, you know, once the surviving spouse is there, after the first one's passed away, only once that person has passed away, would that life right come to an end? What's nice about that is, again, because there's no transfers of property titles or anything, uh, there's no transfer costs, uh, you're simply buying the right to to stay there. And there, on a longer term uh, instance, the, the, the the owner of that of that village or the developer is completely incentivized on the on the maintenance and the upkeep so yes there will be a levy but by law they need to be able to to give a, a minimum of at least two and perhaps even three years of uh, in advance of what the levies are going to be which can make it easier for 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 budgeting for retirement purposes and then you know, once you pass away or that last spouse has passed away, uh, depending on the contract with the life right, uh, nine times out of 10, it will be the case of whatever you put down. So let's say you bought a unit in 2022 for 2 million rand. And then, you know, you or you and your spouse had passed away in 15 years from now, um, then that 2 million rand would be paid back into the estate. Sometimes it's a portion of that. And sometimes it's the original capital plus a fixed amount of of, of interest or growth within there. It's just going to depend on the, the contract and the agreement that you've got with the village itself. You mentioned a few expenses that one might be faced with. Could you maybe give us an estimate of the upfront and ongoing costs of buying into a retirement village? 
Yeah, again, it's going to depend on the the type of purchase you make. So, like I mentioned, if you if you do a freehold sort of title transfer of a unit, you you still, like you would in any other property purchase, need to budget for things like transfer costs, transfer duties. Those are the kind of things you would need to be aware of, and those would all be applied as they would be with any any other property purchase. Um, if you went into a share block or a life right, uh, those tend to be a little bit less onerous upfront because there's no transfer of property, so you don't have to worry about those heavy upfront costs. However, there might be deposits that you need to put down uh, for things like levies, for things like purchases, and you just need to be aware of those. So again, it's all going to be be things that should be discussed um, when looking at the various villages and and what the what the opportunities are, what the uh, what the offering is on the table uh, to understand exactly sort of rand for rand what you're going to be in for. And Kath, could you maybe give us the advantages of retirement villages compared to independent living? Yeah, I think again that's probably subjective, and it's going to depend on the individual that's going in there. Um, I think if if you look at it. Probably the key one in in our older age tends to be company. Um, you know, it's it's a shared living space. People in similar situations. People have maybe got uh, younger members of the family that are kind of off living their busy lives now. And you know, not that they don't want to, but not might have the opportunity to to visit as often as they want. Um, you know, a, a lot of the villages have got great facilities and amenities for you know sporting pursuits or you know clubs or, or card games or whatever it might be, they tend to also kind of run their own uh, meal programs. So meals tend to be quite heavily subsidized, you know, like in a club environment. Um, And then, of course, there's the there's the security aspect of it as well. Um, they tend to all be gated communities, um, you know, so people might feel a little bit safer within those spaces. And then probably also having Ideally, I direct access to to medical care and facilities um, within the village if that's part of the kind of the facilities that are made available. Just staying on the the medical benefits that are offered, some retirement villages offer assisted living or frail care. What is the difference between the two? So assisted living is sort of where you kind of notice the first signs that maybe you, maybe you, or you know, you noticing that your parents are possibly losing the ability to to sort of live independently. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't do anything for themselves, but it might be little things like you know they forget to pay bills and municipal accounts. Um, you know they might be on medications, particularly chronic medications, and perhaps they you know not intentionally but start missing out taking those medications. You know important aspects of being able to run uh, an independent life start to just become a little bit difficult or or kind of forgetful or don't notice that. And it might be that that person now requires a little bit of assistance just to make sure that those day-to-day elements can be taken care of. Whereas frail care tends to be somebody who, generally speaking, would either have had deteriorating health or perhaps has suffered a a big health event such as a stroke or a heart attack. Um, And coming out of that is unlikely or or never really going to be able to live completely unassisted and will need help with very sort of the basic needs of of living on a day-to-day basis. So things like feeding themselves, um, washing themselves, you know, the basic sort of care for themselves. If they're no longer able to do that, then they would tend to need to go into a frail care facility. Are there instances where both are offered at a village? 
Yes, I think a, a vast array of them um, will offer both of those options. Obviously, there's there's a cost involved, and people should be aware of those. And you know, some some facilities again just check what is available within the village. You know, some of them go even to the point where you know, sort of uh, life supports and, and and real medical procedures can happen on site as well. So again, it's, it's just going to depend on what what that village in particular has has made available. And what are some of the red flags retirees should look out for to avoid falling victim to scam operators? So when somebody's looking at purchasing into a, a village, but particularly a new development, um, anything that's going to qualify to be a retirement village status needs to comply with what they call the Housing Development Schemes for Retirement Persons Act. Now, it's quite a mouthful, but basically what that act sets out is that um, it's a whole bunch of limitations and rules that needs to apply um, where if you're buying into that development, um, the title deeds of the of the property itself have to be endorsed by the deeds office and that the land has actually been registered for development. And then also that contract must state that a, what's called a Section 6-1 certificate has been received, and that means that that certifies the development to be sort of put in place with accordance of all the approved plans. So, you know, basically, if, you, if you're if kind of being sold this, this new concept or whatever the case is, and people are looking for deposits, those are the two key elements that you need to look for to make sure that, you know, it's not somebody just kind of trying to scam you out of money, bearing in mind that people can often be sold on the fact that, you know, make sure you put your deposit now and secure your place, even if you're only coming in 10 years, and you might do that. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, all of a sudden, a couple of years out, you start to ask questions about what's happened to these funds and those people are poss- possibly long gone and, and very difficult to track down. Outside of scams, you know, I think in, in general, just make sure that you that you have a clear understanding of, of possibly what your monthly costs are going to be. So like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, these villages need to need to make available projections on the on the levies um, two to three years in advance. Um, have a look at that. Understand other other costs within the within the village itself. What do your levies cost? Do they sort of include exclude meals? How many meals? You know, what are those um, what are those elements to to consider? Um, and then you know, what are the other uh, facilities that could be there? So, you know, if they are putting on uh, entertainment and social events, are those included, excluded? Um, just little things like that. Don't don't be afraid to kind of ask questions. And then obviously the, the, the big ones is longer term. Just make sure if your intention is to stay there and quite possibly need the medical facilities, understand what those costs are going to be as well. Gareth, is there a situation where independent living would be a better option and what should a retiree consider when choosing this route? Look, I think one of the small ones or the silly ones sometimes it, it feels like, but it's actually quite a big thing is, you know, you've got to see what uh, pet facility or pet rules are in place for, for for villages. Are they allowed? Are they not allowed? You know, if you've been pet people your whole life, you know, you're possibly quite used to um you know, being able to make up your own decisions whether you whether you have them or not. The other considerations could be, particularly if you've been living in a in a freehold property, with sort of you're used to your 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 space and your privacy going into sort of a more 
slightly more shared living space, smaller smaller units can feel a little bit sort of claustrophobic for, for people and it can be a little bit of an adjustment. Um, so just kind of be ready for that. Um, on the other side, if, if, if you've got a beautiful, you know, you might have a specific home, you might live in a specific area, you might have retired down to a sort of coastal village or something, and maybe your family, maybe your kids want to keep that as a family holiday home one day. And in that instance, if you sort of stay there till you pass on, you know, that at least that title can be, can be bequeathed to them um, and the family can carry on with it. And finally, what are the pros and cons of maybe living in a garden cottage on a property belonging to one's children? Look, I think the the pros are that you can kind of it can be relatively cost effective depending on the the setup of the of the home. You know, if you're not in one of the sort of hair and space too much, and depending on the family dynamics. You know, for some people it works fantastically well having grandparents around to you know not just help with young children but also be be actively involved um, in their lives. You know, just. Having having kind of another sort of more experienced head can help mom and dad when they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with, with, with their own children, you know, to be able to lean on their parents for a bit of guidance, advice or help. Um, and also for the grandkids, you know, it can be a lot of fun having, having grand and grandpa around, um, you know, you can help possibly with school runs or, or something, you know, we live very busy lives. So having those extra pair of hands can be wonderful. Um, on top of the, you know, the, the cost effectiveness of being able to kind of share property prices or maybe assist parents in their living situations. Probably one of the key downsides is if you've, if you've gone that route. And then, of course, it's always around health, you know, and, and if medical sort of treatments, medical care is required um, and you yourself are obviously not capable of doing that or qualified to do that from a, from a medical standpoint for your parents, then you're going to have to still look at either bringing somebody in externally to, to assist with that or then still end up having to, to go and look at a facility to make sure that, you know, obviously, even if it's you yourself or your parents, that, that need that care. Thank you so much, Gareth. That was Gareth Collier, who is a certified financial planner at Crew Invest. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Money Rules Podcast. To listen to more, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Money Rules. MoneyWeb, Money. your trusted source for business and investment insights.